You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we read two scripture passages in connection with Lord's Day 49 and the third petition. First of all, we'll read from Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 to 14. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them, so that you may live, and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws? I am setting before you today. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you His covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. We'll also turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 40, verse 1. For the director of music of David, a psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord, He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you. 
Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha! Aha! be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, The Lord be exalted, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O my God, do not delay. Let's now read together from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 49. What is the third petition? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will, and without any murmuring, obey thy will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Beloved congregation of Christ Jesus, when it comes to angels, it seems that one of two extremes tends to dominate. On the one hand, we have people who basically put angels in the place of God. Angels are overemphasized to the point where they're worshipped, even prayed to. For example, one Roman Catholic website suggests praying to your so-called guardian angel, if there was such a thing. The prayer goes like this, Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom his love commits me here, ever this day be at my side to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Well, I doubt that we get anywhere near that extreme. More than likely, I think we're often at the other extreme. We acknowledge that angels exist. The story of Christ's birth and the events leading up to it are are filled with angels, for instance. But in the here and now of daily life, here on the ground, we rarely talk about or think about the fact that angels are here. Angels are there. Angels are at work around us. More often, I think we're at the the extreme of minimizing the existence and the work of angels. 
But the Bible doesn't allow either one of these extremes. And that's reflected in our confessions. Let's just look at the Belgic Confession for a minute. If you turn with me to Article 12. Just look at the title there, The Creation of All Things, Especially the Angels. Okay, and then we have one paragraph about creation in general. And then two full paragraphs about angels. And we read there, the second paragraph, He also created the angels good to be His messengers and to serve His elect. Some of these have fallen from the exalted position in which God created them into everlasting perdition. But the others have by the grace of God remained steadfast and continued in their first state. That's the Belgic Confession. The Hutterberg Catechism also acknowledges the existence and work of angels. And we find this in Lord's Day 49. When the Lord Jesus added the words, on earth as it is in heaven, when he mentioned those words in the third petition, he was making a reference to the angels in God's presence. The angels have an office. The angels have a calling before God. In the words of the Belgic Confession, they are his messengers. And note that the, the word angel means messenger. right? And they serve the elect as well. The angels willingly and faithfully serve God. The Lord Jesus teaches us that their obedience to God's will is to be a model or an example for ours. In the third petition then, the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray for help in carrying out the duties of our office and calling in the same way as the angels in heaven. And so our theme for this afternoon is this, the third petition, praying for help in our office and calling. And we pray to do God's will in this cheerfully, constantly, and completely. Now, before we go any further, we should be clear about our definitions. The one thing that needs to be defined very clearly in the third petition is the meaning of the concept God's will. Because God's will can be understood in two different ways. In the Bible, God's will can be His sovereign, secret will. God wills that something will happen, and it happens. We find this meaning of God's will in passages like Ephesians 1.11, where we read that God works all things, quote, after the counsel of His will. Now, the context there in Ephesians 1 is predestination or election. And that context very clearly indicates that God's sovereign, secret will is what's meant there. The other meaning of God's will, the second one, is what we have in the third petition. This is God's moral will, or as some call it, His preceptive will. This is what God commands us to do in the Bible. Most of the time when the Lord Jesus talks about the will of God, this is what He means. For instance, in Matthew 12.50, the Lord Jesus says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Same here in the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're referring to God's revealed will for us, not His secret will. 
And this will for us includes our office and calling. Now, office and calling simply refers to the God-given position that we have in life with the duties, the tasks that go along with that position. Now, any given person can have a variety of offices and callings in life. Some of these are shared by many of us. Others are shared only by a few. But we have this in common, that all of us, without exception, have some kind of office. We have some kind of calling in life. doesn't matter how old we are. doesn't matter whether we're married or widowed or single. God has given each one of us a task, a place in life, an office. And the third petition teaches us to pray about this. The Lord Jesus teaches us to pray for help in fulfilling our office and calling with a certain attitude. And this attitude is captured by the catechism with the adverb, willingly. When we do something willingly, we do it cheerfully. We're glad to be able to do whatever it is that we're called to do. And in this respect, the catechism captures the attitude of the angels of God in His presence. Psalm 1611 tells us that God is surrounded by the fullness of joy. The angels were created good, and by God's grace, a host of them remained the way they were created. In other words, the angels in heaven carry out the duties of their office and calling cheerfully. They gladly serve God. They love to serve God. And so we should serve God in our office and calling the same way. And the third petition teaches us to pray for God's help in this. And when we try to apply this to our lives concretely, there are different directions that we could go. Let's take the direction that's given to us in what we read from Psalm 40. Psalm 40, Psalm of David. In the New Testament, in Hebrews 10... Some of the words of David are put directly in the mouth of the Lord Jesus. In all of this, we find Scripture shining a, a bright light, a kind of a spotlight on the prophetic office of Jesus Christ. And that, in turn, says something about our office as prophets. Because as believers, we share in the office of Christ as a prophet. We also have been anointed with His Holy Spirit to be prophets. And that's something that applies to each one of us. So when we read or we sing the words of Psalm 40, first of all, we think about Christ. With that thought in mind, consider verse 8. It says there, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now a couple of things to note here. First of all, when it says, I desire, that can also be translated, and you find that in some other translations, I delight. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Second thing, I delight to do your will. God's will here is his law. Like with so much Hebrew poetry, we have this thing called parallelism going on in this verse. And the parallel here is between your will and your law, God's will and God's law. 
So the context here shows that God's preceptive, His moral will, what's revealed in His Word, is what's in view. And David, first of all, wrote these words about himself. We know that his desire to do God's will was imperfect. David's life was filled with inconsistencies. But David's son, Jesus Christ, perfectly fulfilled these words. He earnestly, cheerfully, consistently delighted to do God's will, God's moral will. He obeyed the law perfectly, and he did it for us. His obedience is given to us. We also share in his Holy Spirit. We're given new hearts that also delight in doing God's will. There's, there's still inconsistency, to be sure, but, but there's growth. More and more, we cheerfully want to be God's prophets. And this is what we see in verses 9 and 10. These verses speak about David and, and most importantly, about Christ. But these verses also speak about our office as prophets. God calls us to proclaim righteousness, both among God's people and outside. God calls us not to seal our lips, but to speak. God calls us not to hide His righteousness, that righteousness which for us is in Christ, but to speak at every opportunity He gives us. He calls us to speak of His faithfulness and salvation. Again, when we speak of His faithfulness and salvation, we're talking about Christ. He calls us to let His love and truth ring out, both among God's people in the great assembly, we would say in church, also outside. We are called to be God's prophets and to be willing, to be cheerful, in this office and calling. The problem is that sometimes we're filled with fear. We're filled with the fear of man. What will people think of me if I talk about what I believe? What, if I, what will people think of me if, if I talk about who my Savior is? Sometimes our pride gets in the way. That can even happen when we're, we're talking with fellow believers. We don't want to come across as sounding as if we're, we're somehow super spiritual or something. Just as an example, we're told in Scripture to talk about God's works. But yet, many of us still talk about luck. Why do we talk like that? When we confess that we believe in God's providence. Why? when we're anointed as prophets to confess His name, who He is and what He does. Now there can be all kinds of reasons and all of them remind us of our need. Our need to pray in the spirit of the third petition. We need God's help to carry out the duties of our office and calling in a cheerful way because we are sinful and weak human beings. And that impacts our office as prophets. But also every other office that God has given us. When we pray the way the Lord Jesus taught us, we acknowledge our weak condition, our sinful condition, and we look to God for help and strength. Let's now look at how we pray to do God's will in our office and calling constantly. 
Well, you don't have to think about it very long to realize that doing God's will constantly, that, that flows out of doing His will cheerfully. If something is a delight to us, we don't mind to keep on doing it. In fact, we want to keep on doing it. And it's certainly that way with the angels in heaven. You can be sure that their goodness means that they constantly, consistently serve God. Now, last week we read Revelation 7 together. That passage mentions the angels serving God in his temple. It also mentions the the people who have come out of the great tribulation, those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, verse 15, tells us that all these join the angels in serving him day and night. You know, Back when our family lived in Fort Babine, we had to drive every week to Smithers to get our groceries and, and to get everything else. Along the way, we passed this one place in a, in a mountain pass. It was a place called Dry Creek. And it was called that because for most of the year, there was no water in it. It was just a creek bed with a bunch of rocks and boulders in it. It was only for a, a short time in the spring, which in those parts is May and June, that this creek would actually have water running in it. That creek, dry creek, only ran once a year. Brothers and sisters, that's a picture of what the Christian life is not supposed to look like. We should be praying that God would give us strength in our office and calling so that we would do His will constantly. No fits and starts, but consistently, 24-7. Well, with the help of Deuteronomy 4... Let's think about how that will look in one specific office and calling that many of us share, and that is the office of being parents. Now, I'd note, first of all, that this passage speaks to more than just parents. This past week, our elementary school, Credo Christian, had a special day for grandparents. I know that many of the grandparents in our congregation were there. And brothers and sisters, if you're a grandparent, you have a special place in the lives of your children's children. And that's not just a a sentimental thing. It's biblical. Look at verse 9 of Deuteronomy 4. Verse 9 says at the end there, well, we'll read the whole verse. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Other translations will put it more explicitly. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. So if you're a grandparent, the work's not over. If you're a grandparent, God has given you a special office with respect to your grandchildren. And that special office is the same as the one we have as parents. That of being a teacher. The Lord wants us to teach our children about His deeds. We see that clearly stated in Deuteronomy 4. And then in Deuteronomy 6 we find that the Lord also wants the parents among His people to teach His law to their children. We also find that in Deuteronomy 4. In other words, God wants us to teach His will, His revealed will, to our children and our grandchildren. 
And this teaching is supposed to be something that goes on constantly. Deuteronomy 4 says that God's people are not supposed to let these things slip from their hearts so long as they have blood flowing through their veins and arteries. And the command to teach the children and the grandchildren comes right alongside that. And Deuteronomy 6 makes it more explicit when it says in verse 7, Impress them on your children. Talk about them, when, and that's God's commandments, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, constantly, constantly teaching our children, our grandchildren about God's will. We should take every opportunity that He gives us so that our covenant children know their God, that they know His will for their lives. This is part of what we promised at the baptism of our children. Do you promise as father and mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as he or she is able to understand and to have him or her instructed therein to the utmost of your power? It's the promise you made. And this teaching we have as parents is filled with challenges and filled with difficulties. I think one of the greatest challenges that faces us today is the busyness that surrounds us. And perhaps you've heard of Corey Ten Boom. She's well known for the book, The Hiding Place. And she once said, Beware of the barrenness of busyness. Beware of the barrenness of busyness. Busyness can end up destroying you and your family and your spiritual lives. We can fill up our lives with all kinds of tasks, all kinds of things that need to be done, also inside the church. We can do that to the point where relationships suffer. Our relationships with our children and our grandchildren, and more importantly, their relationships with their covenant God. Other challenges include not having had parents who modeled the teaching office for us. In that case, we may have no idea or maybe very little idea of, of what it looks like to teach our children and our grandchildren. We have to start from scratch and we have to figure it out for ourselves. That can be challenging. I could add other challenges, but you get the point. This teaching office of being a parent and a grandparent and doing it constantly, doing it consistently from day to day, it's not something that comes easily or naturally to us. And for this reason, the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray for God's help. He wants us as parents and grandparents to be leaning on Him for the strength we need, the strength we need to be faithful and constant covenant shepherds of the little lambs. Without constant prayer, we cannot be constant in carrying out this office or any other office for that matter. The challenges remind us that we cannot do it in our own power. And that holds true also for striving to do God's will completely. And that's our last point this afternoon. Cheerfully and constantly, they go hand in hand with willingly and faithfully. Well, so does completely. If you're faithful in doing something, you're going to do it completely. When we pray along the lines of the third petition, 
We're asking God to help us carry out his will completely. Also with respect to the duties of our office and calling. In this regard, you can think again of the angels in heaven. Psalm 103, verse 20 says, Praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His word. Now note that it doesn't say, who obey His word, at least the parts they agree with. No, the Bible is clear that the obedience of the angels to God's will is complete. Whether the task they're given is unpleasant or whether it's glorious. An angel of the Lord struck the firstborn in Egypt dead. An angel of the Lord did the glorious work of proclaiming Christ's birth to the shepherds. And he was joined by a a huge crowd of his fellow angels, all praising God. Angels, no matter what job they're given, they always obey God's word completely. And according to the third petition, our obedience to God's will is to follow the same pattern. That's true in our general office of all believers as prophets, priests, and kings. In that general office, we don't only have the pattern of the angels with their complete submission to God's will, but we also have our Lord Jesus. He was completely obedient. And His complete obedience inspires us and compels us in our desire to do God's will as His prophets, priests, and kings. When we think about what the Lord Jesus did for us, we're overwhelmed with thankfulness and love for what He's done. And so we also, we commit ourselves to complete submission to God's will. And that's also the case with more particular offices that we might hold. We already talked about parents and grandparents, but there are other offices as well. Some of us are our special office bearers in the church, elders and deacons. Some of us have the office of being a husband or a wife. Others are in the special place of being teachers for our children in, in a Christian school. God has made some of us into mentors and, and leaders through things like gems and cadets. Some of us have the simple office of being a child. We all have a place and station in life where there are duties attached. And it's God's will for us that we carry out those duties completely. No half-baked jobs allowed. And we know that's a challenge in today's world. This is a world where efficiency is the key word. You know, in the manufacturing world, it's generally recognized that products will have defects. Companies want to produce products in the most cost-effective way, the way that will produce the most profits for the company. And this means that inevitably some products will have defects. Large companies, they plan for that. In fact, they probably couldn't make the profit they do if every product was perfect. It shouldn't be like that in the Christian life. The sad truth is that it often is. Our sinful nature compromises the end product. We don't give God the the willing and faithful obedience that we ought to. And for this reason, we need all the more to be calling out to Him. Calling out to Him for His help. 
We recognize the call to complete faithfulness. We also recognize our sin and our weakness. By the power of the Spirit working in us, we desire to move forward in our walk with God so that we can bring Him more praise with our lives, that we would look more like the angels, and even more importantly, like Christ our Savior. Brothers and sisters, God's will for us is clear. But it's not easy. As redeemed people, we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He leads us to call out to the Father for help. We have the Lord Jesus, our Savior. He teaches us to ask for God's help in doing His will. And through it all, we can be confident that God will give more grace. He will help each one of us in whatever place we are in our lives. He will more and more transform us into the people that He wants us to be. He'll do that until the day we will be those who, in the words of Revelation 7, are before the throne of God, serving Him day and night in the temple. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.